You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today, you're listening to a webinar recording of the webinar that I did together with Gary on how to resolve conflict without giving in. Conflict is probably one of the biggest topics of stress at work. And it's about how we deal with conflict, how we resolve it, that is a huge driver for success at work, but also for our satisfaction at work. And I've not been very, very good in the past on that. I've learned a lot over the years. And today we'll give you a recording of a webinar that Gary and myself did earlier this year. And you'll learn a lot about it. Even if you can't see the slides, it will be a very, very good experience. So stay tuned. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. The reduced rate is only £20 for non-high-income country and also only £95 for high-income countries, which is approximately the same in euros and dollars, actually. So, visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. webinar of the Effective Statistician, which is sponsored by the Effective Statistician Leadership Program. And um, thanks so much for dialing in. It's uh, quite late in the afternoon here in Europe, uh, and I think it's a good time uh, around close to lunchtime on the East Coast, yeah. and it's not too early on the West Coast in the US. So uh, thanks a lot for, for dialing in. How to resolve conflict without giving in is really, really an important topic. Uh, through all the discussions that we have with statisticians from uh, lots of different places, farmers, CRO, academia, um, and across all different levels of seniority from people that just started into in the industry or people that have uh, decades of experience under the belt, um, this is the number one question that we get in terms of problems at work. Maybe only close as the other one is, is uh, overwhelm at work and being busy, too busy. That's also a very, very frequent one. But this conflict one is especially painful as it um, drives a lot of frustration. It um, drives a lot of... Um, to say bad, bad vibrations and people take this conflicts home um, they take it back to their families and it impacts um, overall um, work satisfaction and so this is a really really important topic to speak about 
Gary and myself will now dive into this for the next 40 or so minutes, 40 to 50 minutes, and then we'll have also a Q&A uh, at the end. So just to give you a little bit of a background, um, I have already more than 20 years of experience as working of, as a statistician, and you may have listened to my voice already if you're an active listener of the Effective Statistician podcast, which is uh, publishing every Tuesday since more than a year. And together with uh, Gary, we are running the Effective Statistician Leadership Program, which is a leadership program specifically designed for statisticians. Uh, and with that, I'm handing over to, to Gary. Okay, thanks, Alexander. Thanks to uh, everyone for, for joining in today. Um, as Alexander said, we're going we're gonna to talk through some, some ideas and stories and concepts around conflict resolution. Um, I wanted to start with a story uh, from about 10 years ago when I was uh, still at Eli Lilly and Company uh, that involves technical differences and concerns about technical competence. Um, at the time, I was the senior director for non-clinical statistics. Um, and so some of the statisticians in my group had a responsibility for pharmacogenomics and biomarker work. And during the, the course of my tenure there, um, there were some concerns about uh, informaticists and bioinformaticists who were doing some work on um, clinical data. Now, this was an analysis of the, the phase three pivotal trials and the primary objectives, but it was more uh, post hoc uh, subpopulation analyses that were uh, generating hypotheses or creating publications um, is typically the type of work that, that they would do. These people didn't report up through statistics, they reported up through IT. And there were concerns on the part of my statisticians, uh, as well as some clinical statisticians, about the rigor, the appropriateness of, of uh, the analyses that they were using and also potential uh, ramifications if some of this work turned out to be questioned and some of the, the technical approaches were questioned. Um, and it got to the point where it, it even sort of escalated to discussions between the vice presidents. And much of the concern centered around a woman a bioinformaticist who was doing work with a neuroscience uh, team. And I believe this was a marketed product, so that's why the concerns were kind of high, because anything that was out there in the public domain could be scrutinized and sort of could come back and, and potentially hurt the product or hurt the credibility. There were, there were some discussions, again, that were had between the statistics function and the IT function, and I had even engaged uh, my counterpart, uh, a senior director on the IT side, but um, at best, he was kind of evasive about the whole thing and really didn't want to sort of challenge the work that, that this woman was doing and have us challenge the work. Um, and what made it sort of cha more challenging was the fact that this individual, the senior director, he really didn't have any technical training in the area. And so it, basically, it was at a point where um, the IT folks were sort of satisfied with the status quo. Uh, they were enjoying what they were doing, um, and the statisticians were concerned. Um, so we were sort of at an impasse um, and kind of stuck, at least from our perspective. Uh, so this, this may be the type of a situation that you might find yourself in, whether with someone outside of stats or within stats or in a different area with the onset of data science and lots of people wanting to do analysis. 
And these are the types of things that we're going to talk about today. And I'll get back to the story and, and sort of share how it finishes up in a minute. But um, we're going to talk about a couple different concepts that we think are very helpful around conflict resolution. And we're going to introduce those via a variety of stories, some typical types of situations um, that I think statisticians uh, find themselves in where they're having to resolve conflict or, or address differences or disagreements. And some of the things we'll talk about via these stories are active listening and tactical empathy, foundational trust and courage, and composure and curiosity. Um, when we finish with the, the stories and some of these concepts, we'll talk about some of the basics of communication uh, that are also important and helpful in dealing with uh, conflict resolution, because every conflict resolution is going to involve communication. So we'll view some of the basics around communication and, and why those things can be helpful. And uh, some of the concepts we'll talk about are concepts that have been written about uh, by some experts in these areas. So we'll provide some references for further study. Okay. So back to the, uh, and Alexander will monitor the, uh, the chat uh, during the course of the presentation. So if you have questions or concerns, feel free to put them in there and we can get to those uh, during or, or after um, the webinar, we should have time. Back to this story around resolving differences, which is again, a common type of situation I think statisticians find themselves in. And again, in this situation, we were sort of in an impasse with uh, the folks in the IT group, uh, the informaticists and bioinformaticists. Uh, there were concerns around some of their technical training. Some of them did have degrees in informatics, but others had just sort of uh, learned some of these methods and, and applied them. So the, the concerns on our part, I felt, were legitimate, uh, but we couldn't really get anywhere. We were at an impasse. Um, and so what I decided to do is, and it's specifically around this, this one situation with the woman in the neuroscience team, I just scheduled a conversation, a meeting um, with this woman. I thought, let me just, uh, let me just try to talk to her and, and see what I can learn and see how we can move this forward in an acceptable way. So this is where you get into the, um, I guess, the, the specifics of conflict resolution. And in this meeting, there were a couple different things that um, I, I applied, I think, that are sort of really good concepts around this. When I went into the meeting, I was careful to sort of frame at least the, the purpose of the meeting and, and share the situation and my concerns. Now, I could have gone in and said, here's my concerns and here's what I want to do about it. And I'll get back to that in a minute. But basically, I just went in and sort of framed the meeting and really wanted to practice a technique called creative listening. And this is a phrase that, that I was first introduced to by a, a man by the name of Perch Dakota, who wrote a book on communication, a little reference at the end. It's sort of the, the opposite of what he calls automatic listening, which is when you're having a conversation with a person and you're not really paying attention to what they're saying, you're just thinking about what you're saying, what you're thinking and what you're going to say after they finish up. And he talks about creative listening from a standpoint of really paying attention to to their intentions, letting the other person talk, which is a good way to to sort of find out a lot of information. So because I had never spoken to this individual, this woman, basically, I started after I framed the conversation to, to get her to talk, asked her some questions. 
um, and let her sort of share things from her perspective. In doing this, um, one thing sort of Perch proposes is, is listings for facts, feelings, and commitment. So what, what do they believe? What, where are their emotions and all this and where are their commitments? And by doing this, this allowed me to uncover a few things that were very helpful in getting to a resolution here. The first thing was that I could see that this woman was very passionate about the work that she was doing. She was very interested in this area. Um, and, and in the, in listening to her, I was able to understand some of her background and she did have some technical training and some technical expertise in this area. There were two other things that I learned that were very valuable. One was, and she didn't come out and say this directly, but I could tell she was not going to be willing to sort of cease and desist. She was going to continue doing work for this group. Uh, She had a good relationship with them. Uh, They seemed to value the work that she did. And so, so she had no intentions of walking away. But the other thing I learned is that she really had an interest in learning more about statistics. Uh, she wanted to advance her technical training. And uh, this was information that I didn't know going in. No one had shared this with me. The, the senior director from IT, I don't even know if he knew this or wanted to or even broach that conversation. But by listening, it allowed me to then uncover these these few key things that provided me with an idea to move forward. Um, Had I came into the conversation and said, here's what I think the problem is, here's what I think the solution is, Um, you need to stop doing this work and move on and work in a different area, that wouldn't have worked because they were clearly passionate about what they were doing and weren't going to stop. Um, So it allowed me to... Uh, to move forward with a potential solution. The other key thing that this allowed was this this idea of tactical empathy, okay? And this is a phrase that was coined by Christopher Voss. Um, He is a former FBI negotiation expert who wrote a book and now is consulting in the public domain. There's a couple things here uh, around tactical empathy that he believes in the importance of emotions in these types of negotiations or uh, conversations. And emotions aren't the obstacles, they are the means. So um, people aren't just driven by facts. And this is consistent with what we talked about above in terms of the facts, feelings, and commitment. And this notion of tactical empathy is, is if you can understand basically the mindset of the other individual and demonstrate to them that you understand that, that puts you in a position to have greater influence over them. And this is exactly what happened in this conversation, because I was able to listen to her, understand where she was coming from, and even sort of play back to her, okay, this is what I hear as as what you're doing, what I hear as your concerns, um, what I hear as your interests. Um, I was able to propose uh, a path forward, and that was that... um, since she wanted to learn more about statistics, I was able to connect her with a clinical statistician in the group who I had mentored in the past and who I knew would be very good at providing some coaching and working with this individual. Um, and she bought into that uh, because it was in her interest as well. And in addition to that, I suggested that um, that she do uh, allow statisticians to peer review some of the work that she was doing. And she agreed to that as well. So basically, it, it ended in a very sort of positive way. And again, had I taken a different approach and not practiced, I think, these concepts, I don't know that it could have ended as well. 
because I had, again, going in, I had no uh, familiarity with this individual. I had never talked with them before. The people in their group that I had talked to had talked very sparingly about her. So I was starting from scratch. And I would suggest that in those types of conversations, or even if there is some level of understanding and trust and knowledge of the other individual, practicing these concepts uh, will get you to a good resolution. And that's the way this turned out moving forward. I, I think you're making a couple of very, very good points here in terms of the creative listening that, that helped you really to, to understand where the patient, uh, where the other person was coming from in terms of understanding what is a, their position versus what is their interest. And so, so you could, you know, speak about meeting their, their interest while going, coming back from the position that nobody else could be involved. And I think that's, that's the, the art of this creative listening, which we also uh, teach in our leadership program. So that's one of the important things. I think the other important thing is that you consciously used the, um, the feelings and you, you were not driven by the feelings, but you were driving the feelings. And I think this is a really, really important uh, thing. It's, it's, it's a topic that's coming up actually quite a lot. Um, for example, if, if you watch this, uh, nice series on Netflix suits about the <laughs> there's this uh, character called Louis Litt and he's a really really good lawyer very often his feelings take over and then he runs into problems and it's always the same pattern and I think that's that's one of the, the important lessons here is uh, to make sure that you're using the feelings in the right way and not being driven by your feelings, but you can't take the feelings off the table also. It's, it's something where people are just very, very emotional. And so you need to, uh, to use them as, as, uh, as said here. It's, they are the means and not the obstacles. Yeah, we'll come and I'll come back to this in, a, in the second story. Uh, that I, and I agree that the emotions are a big part of it, whether it's, uh, I mean, coming into the meeting, I could imagine that she clearly sort of felt threatened. Uh, she was probably very anxious, but maybe she was excited, too, as to the opportunity that this could provide for her. Um, and I think, again, those are the types of feelings and emotions that come into play in every sort of conflict scenario is that people feel like they have something to lose. And, and that's what sort of they, they put their guard up. And again, that's where the tactical empathy comes in, that if you can sort of understand what they're feeling and play it back to them, then a sense there's this, this connection, maybe this sense of trust that, that uh, emerges and allows you to sort of move forward very effectively. So if you say playing back to them, how do you do that? Playing back the emotions to the other person? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's just, and these are sort of good communication practices in terms of just almost repeating back to them, like, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from here, that you, you've got a lot invested in this area. I can see that you're very passionate about your work and that the customers seem to value what, what you have and, um, and that you, you don't want to lose this. Uh, you, you have something to, uh, you have a lot invested here. Um, and it would be very hard for you to sort of give up and walk away from it. And then it's just like, oh, you understand me. 
Yeah. So is that where you build a relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking about trust, uh, let's uh, let's move share maybe something that everyone sort of encountered these challenges with proposals, or we'll call it sort of statistical rigor. So I will uh, turn it over to you, Alexander. Okay. In terms of uh, getting to statistical rigor, um, you have probably all been in discussions about um, statistical rigor in, in one or the other way. Imagine you're sitting in a meeting and I'm just I mean, going back to an example that I had a couple of uh, years ago. I was sitting in a bigger meeting and we were talking about uh, upcoming uh, study and different design features. And at one point, it turned to the sample size. More or less out of nowhere, I was quite heavily challenged on the sample size uh, that I was proposing. It was came pretty much as a surprise to me because um, uh, with my medical colleague, I had talked about that for quite some time. And now another function was uh, challenging the sample size. And um, we're actually putting quite some let's say, verbal pressure in it uh, to um, convince me to do something differently. I'm pretty sure you've all been in, in situations like that where out of nowhere uh, there's conflict, there is um, different opinions. You get pushed into a situation where you become defensive, where maybe you get you know, even, even verbally threatened in a way, then your emotions kick in. And from a discussion that has been pretty much factful uh, beforehand, it's now a discussion about uh, where emotions are getting high and people uh, raise their voice and things like that. And in that situations, it is really important to, to stand your ground uh, because that's where push comes to shelf and and it's really about uh, the courage you can uh, come up with in terms of courage the first thing is probably to remember about your confidence remember about what your track record is what your expertise is that you have the um statistical and the scientific experience and the education in that regard. And very often you'll be the most educated person in that regard. So remember that. The second is banish your self-doubt. So if you um, if you think, maybe I'm wrong here, maybe you know there's something that I have overlooked, banish that and um, stick to uh, what you have learned. Then lastly, think about what's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. So, so if you have a good, uh, if you have a discussion now, you'll probably not get fired because of that, because of your statistical opinion. So I think putting things into perspective is a good way to um, calm down the emotions and, and take a stand. And finally, it's, it's really about avoiding the so-called sucker's choice, which is a term that I learned from uh, a book called Crucial Conversations. Sucker's choice is where you basically choose between relationships and content. So you choose between giving in and just kind of say, okay, I want to, you know, have a good team atmosphere here and I don't want to, you know, hurt anybody. 
but you step back on your uh, statistical rigor. Or the other point would be that you say, I hold, your, hold my ground and I raise my voice and I make a point and kind of completely destroy the relationship, but I'm right. And both is are bad choices, and that's called the sucker's choice. So what you really want is to um, have not either or, but and. See the combination of keeping your statistical rigor and still honoring the relationship. What's really important there is, is the trust that we just talked about. So in terms of trust, there's basically four, four components of that. There's uh, four different C's. And Gary, maybe you can go to the next, next one there. You have the C in terms of competence, care, character, and connection. And that's what I actually leveraged in, in this, um, in this situation. Whereas I didn't have actually a lot of trust and relationship with the person that challenged me, uh, because that was someone that I wasn't uh, working quite often with. I used the good trust and relationship that I had with my medical counterpart. That person I then basically leveraged to, to make my point and help kind of get support. There it was really about leveraging the, the relationship and the trust that I've built with that person beforehand. Trust really comes down to uh, these four C's. Competence is really about having a track record, your uh, education, your experience. Um, so everything that describes your, your statistical skills. Care means that you take care of the other person, that you kind of respect the other person, that you know what the, the passion about uh, the other person is. Uh, things that Gary just mentioned in terms of understanding where the other person is coming from, what are their, their interests. Um, character is, uh, yeah, what we always know of character really about um, being truthful and, and being reliable and being consistent. And connection is really about how you have built a relationship with another person, how often you see the other person, how whether you know the other person. And all these four uh, different parts come together to build trust. And so through, um, through these different steps, I was able to, to, you know, get out of this very uncomfortable situation, get to a re resolution. Actually, not in the, directly in this meeting, uh, but we were able to, to take the topic off the, off the discussion in this bigger meeting and then, uh, find a solution in, in a smaller meeting where not so many people were involved. And that also helped to get a little bit the, the pressure and the heat out of the discussion. And with that, yeah. Yeah, I was going to make a, a quick comment. I think this this uh, concept of relationships versus content is one that's that's really important. And I see because statisticians tend to be people pleasers, uh, I think this this can create a struggle for them. And again, I've been in situations, and it really relates to the trust too. That if you have the trust, and you're working with people that understand that trust and understand as well that they're separating the issues from the individual, that you can be sort of very honest and direct with them. You can have sort of healthy conflict that will help resolve conflicts or, or issues or, or disagreements. 
But when you step away from the meeting, they understand that it's not personal. Okay, so I, I think this is a really important concept, and it really does speak to the trust thing, too. But even without the trust, I think really effective leaders, um, they understand this from the get-go. They understand that as you're discussing issues, even if it gets confrontational, it's not personal. It's about, it's about the issues. Now, again, there is that emotion piece that can come in uh, that you have to be aware of. But I think really good leaders, if people are respectful, um, they'll understand the difference between we're talking about the issue, we're not attacking the person. Yeah. The other point, the other point in terms of that might be cultural differences. So, so in certain cultures, it's much more easy to have conflict. People are kind of much more emotional and then that's completely okay. That's kind of expected. And in other uh, situations, other cultures, these can be, you know, company cultures or can be, you know, country cultures. And there is, you don't do that. You know, you just don't uh, oppose in such a way. And of course, then you need to know how to handle these situations. And one of the good solutions really uh, is is uh, to invest in building trust within the team uh, because that helps to speed up the overall process. And, and there's a pretty famous book about it called The Speed of Trust by Covey, mm-hmm. uh, which shows how an investment in trust actually plays out in the, uh, in, in the long run in, in speeding up processes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's one of also one of the uh, things that we speak a lot in our leadership program because trust and relationship building are, are really keys and, and we give some guidance on um, where to invest in building trust because, uh, of course, that also takes some effort. Yes. Okay, uh, to transition to the, the next uh, situation and story and concepts that, that uh, Alexander in, his, in this story sort of talked about how he was in this meeting and then all of a sudden someone uh, attacked his sample size or at least challenged it. And it really gets to this, this notion of unexpected conflict. So there are some times when you know that there is going to be a contentious discussion. That if there's this disagreement, then there's a meeting called, or if there's a problem with a performance, that there's a, a one-on-one or an intervention or those types of things. But a lot of times we have these uh, these experience where unexpected conflict just sort of flares up, and you're not you're not looking for it, you're not thinking about it, and then all of a sudden it's there. And just a, a couple sort of examples, quick examples, and I'll talk specifically to some of these to share some of the important concepts in resolving them. But um, I was in a meeting once with a couple statisticians on my team having a good sort of technical discussion. It was uh, debating some issues and how to approach certain customers. And one statistician basically insulted the other. Okay, so it went from just this sort of nice, uh, healthy technical discussion to a conflict resolution situation. Um, Another one, I was um, getting ready to, to teach a class. And five minutes before the class, one of the attendees came up to me and, and asked if they could have a few minutes. And I thought they were going to say, hey, really, I have to talk to you about this thing or maybe at a break or something. But they proceeded to sort of tell me how upset they, upset they were by the content from a previous course that I took. So upset that they started breaking into tears. I'm thinking, I've got to start teaching this class in two minutes. And now I'm in a, 
a conflict resolution situation. I had a statistician sort of walk by my desk and, and ask for a few minutes of my time. And you walk in and they say that they refuse to work with a colleague collaborator, a key collaborator anymore because of some disagreement that they have or how they felt they were disrespected. Another one, a, a statistician in a one-on-one -on -one meeting uh, in my group says that uh, they're thinking of leaving the company because they are not getting along with their supervisor, who actually also reports to me. So these are the type, a sampling of the types of things that can just sort of come out of the blue. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a conflict resolution situation. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the concepts and things to remember and practice in those types of situations, as hard as it may be, because again, you're, you, you, you go from sort of a call mode to an, an anxious uh, conflict resolution type of situation. So let me talk about the first one I mentioned where I was meeting with the two statisticians and I'll sort of share what happened and then some of the important concepts there. Um, so in, in the course of this discussion, then one statistician essentially, in so many words, called the other statistician a coward, okay? And it, it went from, like I said, this sort of nice discussion to a conflict resolution situation. And in the moment, um, I really had to sort of think quickly in terms of, okay, this has really changed direction now. How do I resolve this? And I had to think quickly about the two people involved, okay, their personalities, where they were on the sort of emotional spectrum. The one that, that made the insult wasn't a very emotional type of person. And they were more used to confrontation and used to these types of situations. The other was more emotional. When the insult happened, I could tell that they were visibly upset. I can almost see tears welling up in their eyes. And one thought was, I need to intervene in immediate, immediately and, and reprimand the individual who made the insult and insist that they apologize. The problem there is that I don't know that the individual who made the insult he sort of said it in a very matter-of-fact way. So I don't even know that he felt that it was an insult. So I would have spent a few minutes trying to convince him that it was an insult. The person that was insulted would have got more upset because they, the other person wouldn't have seen it that way. They would have become more emotional, and it would have escalated even more. So the approach I took here was to basically try to end the meeting as soon as possible and, and address the individuals separately. So I did manage to get the meeting finished up quickly. They left and went to their desks. I immediately went to the person who was insulted and basically says, look, I heard what they said. That was unacceptable. Are you okay? Just to see how they were doing. And then I, I proceeded to sort of meet with the other person to sort of sit down and explain to them or, or to, to really get their understanding of what just happened there. Do you realize what you just said? And get them to sort of play back in their mind what happened and then get them to a point of understanding why what they said was, was an insult and why that person took it so hard, okay? The, the concepts that you have to sort of apply here is uh, really one of composure, that you have to slow down your thinking and you have to focus. Uh, so when this happens, again, this, this is hard. It, it takes discipline and it probably takes experience. I'm sure that I wasn't very good at it uh, from the get-go, but... Uh, part of making people aware of this stuff is so that when it does happen that you can do this. That I had to change my focus from the original intention of the meeting to, 
okay, how do I resolve this, this issue? And the immediate uh, reaction may be, I need to resolve it now, okay? But in this situation, that wouldn't have been the best thing. Because again, I had to slow down my thinking and think, in, in a few minutes, who are the parties involved? Um, what are my options in terms of trying to resolve it? And how are they going to respond to that? And like I said, by slowing down my thinking very quickly and focusing, I was able to decide if I try to address this here and now, it's not going to go well. And I'm just going to find myself addressing it after the meeting anyway. So let's try to just leave it as it is, understanding that one person is a little bit upset. Go address them. Make sure they're okay. Talk to the other person. And the other part is exercising patience. I knew in this situation, this wasn't going to be resolved quickly. I would have had to meet with, with both people. And it might have taken two meetings with the person that, that, uh, that made the insult to basically get them to understand, you know, the emotional part of this because they, they didn't have that emotion. Um, so eventually, after talking with, with that individual once, maybe two times, I got the three of us together again. We sort of went through the situation, and then I was able to get them to, to sit down and meet and, and resolve it sort of finally. Now, you have to understand that this wasn't perfect afterwards, okay? Um, some of these types of things, uh, they'll, they'll never be sort of perfect solutions. There will never be maybe a perfect relationship, a friendship between these individuals, but you have to get it to a point where at least they can collaborate and, and work effectively together. And that was my goal. Um, so the, the slowing down your thinking focus and then exercising patience, not rushing to a solution that you may think, you know, because in these situations, again, I've been in them. And your one feeling is you just want them to be over. You want to get past them as soon as possible. But again, you have to sort of step back and think, I need to try to, to make sure this is a, at least a long-term solution. The other, uh, let me talk about another situation and share um, the, the other key concept here, which is curiosity. And this is the situation where the employee came into the, um, to the, to my one-on-one -on -one and basically said he was thinking of resigning because he was unhappy with his supervisor. Again, immediately my anxiety goes up because this was a very good technical statistician who was uh, fairly new to the company and I didn't want to lose them. Um, I also, again, realized that I had created this supervisor-employer relationship not that long ago. And the, the supervisor was someone who was very experienced um, and been with the company for a long time, very good statistician. So I had to sort of take a step back and find out what was really at the root of this issue. Because your immediate response is to say, well, you don't want to do that, or this person's a really good supervisor. I'm sure they didn't mean anything by it, but that can just upset the individual even more. So again, practicing the composure parts, but then also practicing this notion of curiosity, okay? And Again, this gets back to some of the creative listening stuff, and, and it requires maybe some very sort of clever prompts to get the person to, to talk about things. I mean, obviously, first you need to sort of calm them down or make sure that, that they're in a position where they can speak about it. Um, but once, once you do that, you can prompt them with, okay, so help me understand what, what happened here. Tell me more about, is there a specific situation uh, that, that sort of got you to this point or talk to me about 
what's been happening between the two of you. And again, this provides you with information um, that then allows you to, to get a better picture of what's really going on here. And as, as you're doing these things, I mean, you think about, gosh, so am I being a therapist? Am I being a detective? Am I being a problem solver? Yes, you're being all of these things. And I'm not trained as a therapist. I'm not trained as a detective. As a statistician, I have pretty good problem solving skills, but you need to understand that you need to do all these things. The, the therapist part sort of gets back to the emotions of the situation because obviously emotions are running high here. So you need to get to that point of tactical empathy, understanding where the emotions of the individual are, why they feel the way they do, and then demonstrating to them that you understand how they're feeling. And the detective work is really, again, sort of uncovering what, what created some of these problems. And once you've done that, then you can move into the problem-solving mode of, okay, what do we need to do about this? And uh, just, just to sort of be brief, in this situation, it was just a, uh, uh, an instance where the two statisticians, I mean, one was less experienced than the other. And it was this notion of, I think, as experienced statisticians, sometimes you, you need to accept that a good solution uh, is, is better than the perfect solution due to time constraints or, or other types of um, issues. And it was that type of a situation where the, the less experienced statistician wanted to be very technically accurate around a certain type of problem. And the supervisor was suggesting a good approach that maybe wasn't the perfect approach. And so the less experienced statistician saw it as, you know, this, this is going to reflect on, on my competence or my lack of competence. And that really wasn't the case. So again, it was uncovering that part, meeting with the individuals, bringing them together, and then eventually they were able to resolve it and understand where each other was coming from and move forward. Um, so in these types of situations, composure, curiosity, and then that can get you to resolving um, the issues at hand. Yeah, another uh, term for that is um, rumbling which uh, yes. was, was coined by Brené Brown, who uh, wrote a lot about vulnerability. And uh, she recently published a really nice book uh, called Dare to Lead, yes. where she uh, goes into these concepts and, and speaks about um, a couple of different terms that you can use to, to rumble, to get into this, this, this discussion and, and to make sure the other person opens up. Um, and it's here also this, this term of vulnerability is is, um, is included. So, so if you show vulnerability and if you lean into the conflict and if you lean into this situation, you make it possible for the other person to, to also open up and, and um, uh, show vulnerability and, and show where really the passion and, and the problem is. And um, that's really an important Important part. There's also a really, really nice TED talk from uh, from her, which has millions and millions of views. So uh, it's uh, really nice and, and good reference. By the way, as we are speaking about the references, uh, as you registered for the uh, webinar, all of you got an email with with the references that we are talking here. Uh, so you don't need to scribble them down all, but but. We will talk about them in a little bit. 
Yeah, I should have mentioned that these uh, these first two uh, sort of lead-ins under curiosity help me understand and tell me more about is from uh, Brene Brown's book, the, the one you mentioned, Dare to Lead, and there's a list of, I think, eight or ten different ways to kind of do this, and there's probably more than that, but it gives you a good sense of how you can sort of delve into these conversations without being too confrontational or imposing certain assumptions on the other individual uh, to make them feel like they're they're wrong and they're thinking. Yeah, so to uh, kind of finish out here, um, just a reminder of some communication basics. As I said, any conflict resolution is going to involve communication. And there are some, some basics around communication in terms of preparing for any type of, of a meeting, be it a team meeting, a one-on-one -on -one meeting, a corrective interview type of meeting that I think good uh, to practice and, and be helpful here. The first is just around preparation. If, if you know that this is a conflict resolution situation, you think about you know, who the audience is, um, where are they coming from, where are they in their thinking about the topic or the issue, and then where do you want to move them? Now, in some cases, you may have an idea of where you want to move them, but like in the first example I talked about, I had to sort of hold back from that to really understand because I really didn't know who the audience was. I knew who the woman was. I knew where she worked, but I didn't know much about her. So I had to, to figure that out during the meeting. In some of these other situations, you do know, you know who some of the key players are, what their thinking is. And if, if it is in a situation that's maybe based more in, in facts and logic and rationale, that you probably can have an idea of where to move them and, and how to get them there and it may play out there um, more readily. But even when emotions are involved, uh, you, you can have an idea how to, how to move people uh, by, by being able to, again, practice, I think, the tactical empathy and then, and then moving to, them to a place. And the second part of some other good practices in terms of, of these types of situations are to, to have a strong start. In the meeting with the informaticist, I mean, I had rehearsed how I was going to open the meeting and what I was going to say. Um, if you go in there unprepared, you can say the wrong thing. And one wrong word or one wrong phrase can set the discussion in a direction that you don't want it to go. So you really need to be disciplined about your communication and especially at the start to, to get yourself into a flow and to get the meeting or the discussion off on the right foot to think about how you want to start it. We talked about listening, and I can't stress that enough in terms of the creative listening and the information that you can gain and how you can use that in these types of influence situations. And we also talked about replaying uh, the, the person's position back to them and reviewing key points in the meeting, um, good practices in, in any meeting and helps Everyone make sure that they're on the same page and then establishing and agreeing on next steps. Uh, for example, in the meeting with Ian from Madison, it was, okay, I'm going to let's uh, get you hooked up with this individual. I'll reach out to them and connect you and you can start meeting with them. I want you to connect with that individual and this individual to peer review your, your, your topics or your, um, your work, some of your work. And then, um, uh, let's meet again in three months and, and see how things are going. Um, so those are always good practices, too, and especially in resolving conflicts. So you do have some agreement and maybe in some ways documentation around what the, the next steps are. 
here are the, the references, uh, some of them that we mentioned. Uh, I think we, we did sort of mention all these, maybe except for the, the Fred Garcia one. Alexander, you want to mention about the, the, the webinar and the site real quick? Uh, yeah, there's the, um, the webinars that we did some months ago about mastering the art of science uh, of influential communication and, and very shortly referenced a couple of these things. Communication is a really, really big topic. So uh, we went a little bit deeper into to that uh, during this webinar and it's um, available on theeffectivestatistician.com. We can't cover everything, of course, uh, about communication. We have a complete kind of big section about it in our leadership program. Uh, but um, I hope that all these kind of things that we discussed today give you a point you into the right direction uh, to move forward. And um, I think the, the creative listening is actually one of, one of the, the, the key lessons. Um, okay, with that, I think we can move on into the, the question and answers. We have a couple of uh, minutes late for, um, left for that. So um, please type in your questions, your comments, your observations. In, into the chat as we have more than 100 participation uh, participants it's quite difficult to open up the, the audio for everybody so so first we have paolo here who cites a very very nice book that we are also discussing in the leadership program uh, by uh, lancioni the, the five dysfunctions of a team conflict and not Engaging in conflict is actually one of these uh, five dysfunctions uh, of the team and avoiding conflict. So um, managing conflict well is how you get things done. And if conflict is, is not managed well, then people don't come to a solution and, and uh, that, that really stops uh, teams from, uh, from being effective. Um, yeah, so real, real quick on that, the uh, actually the first dysfunction is a lack of trust. So it gets back to this balance. If you have the trust, then it, it allows the conflict to go on, the healthy conflict to take place. So there's another question about conflicts arising in email communication, and that's that's a big one. I think we all been probably be copied in in emails that. Um, then go backwards and forwards, and the more emotions get involved, the faster they get backwards and forwards. And my recommendation is there to put a stop uh, to that as soon as you see it, um, and and get that out of email communication and get into uh, a meeting. Um, Phone is good, but really the best way is to have have visual meetings because. Um, if you can see the other person's face, then you, that really helps you with, with the, uh, creative listening. Because when you, when you're talking and it's just audio, you don't get any feedback from the other side. So it's really, really difficult to, to have this creative listening. So, so that's one of my key points that I'm always stressing is, um, Turn on the camera because that helps so much with the overall communication. Gary, what's, what's your point? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, email is, I mean, yeah, what you said, as soon as you sense that there's conflict, get out of the email. And I would even say before that, if you can anticipate that there could be some 
um, tough discussions, uh, try to keep it out of email. I mean, we can go into a whole sort of discussion on the use of email, but the less the better, I would say in general, uh, because this, again, you, you can't really, I mean, I guess there's emojis now, but you can't really, you know, um, articulate emotion. Um, and it's hard to, to read between the lines and spot it. So, um, uh, stay away from email if you can. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm a burnt child there. Uh, very very early in my career, I send an email that really disturbed people. So um, one of the lessons from there is if you get emotional, sometimes it's better just to um, write the email that gets the emotions off your chest, but don't press the send button. Or just send it to a good friend and let him read it again and say, well, does that make sense to send that email? But um, yeah. In terms of managing conflict with humor or not, uh, is that a recommendation? That's another question from uh, from Donna. So Gary, what's, what's your point <laughs> on that? So I'm, I'm a big fan of humor. I mean, I think people need to, to sort of enjoy what they're doing at work. I think you just need to be very careful. Um, the emotions is a big part of it. I think it, you have to have a good relationship with the person or be 100% convinced that the humor you're going to use is appropriate um, at the time. And, and it, it, is, it is a valuable tool with people that, that you know very well and have a sense of humor. You know, laughing about things that are really difficult situations is sometimes really good medicine. So I'm not opposed to it. I just think you need to be careful. For example, in the situation I had with the informaticist, I mean, I, I probably would not consider using any humor unless I really feel like we were connecting, um, especially because I didn't get to know her. Um, and even people that know me well, given the situation, if it's a very tense type of situation, like something around someone someone resigning or or just really upset you, you, you have to be very careful uh, and it really gets back to like I said just making sure that you know them and the, and the humor is appropriate and like I said it, it is a very valuable tool I mean I've used it quite a bit with people that that I know really well and just know that they understand that laughter is really good medicine sometimes well I think if there's a lot of laughter this is usually a good sign for an overall um, team relationship in terms of humor I think that is uh, very personal also so i think especially in larger meetings um that can be more prob problematic for certain people because um they either don't get it or they under don't understand it or it's just not that type of humor so um i think in in smaller meetings where everybody knows each other very very well and uh, i've been in these kind of situations where Uh, yeah, we could solve a lot with, with humor um, and, and just take the, the pressure out of the situation. So, so kind of if someone gets really upset and, and saying, uh, sorry, I know your football club lost last night. So, so it's something like <laughs> something we use to kind of get the pressure out of there. And then, um, yeah. So any, any other questions? Please type in things in into the chat. Um, conflict is is something that is coming up all the time. By the way, as as we are speaking about conflict in meetings, um, 
I once recorded an a podcast episode about pre-wiring meetings. And so, so basically preparing meetings so that conflict <laughs> is taken out of the meeting into smaller meetings before the meeting. And um, that's, that's also quite nice technique to, to uh, make sure you, you manage different and opposing views um, in situations where people are uh, uh, relaxed and more easily speak up. Yeah, and real quick, I, I mean, on that, uh, related to that topic on the comment on the notion of building trust, if, if you feel there is conflict within a meeting or you, you see that someone is upset, it's a great way to build trust is to approach them afterwards and say, hey, is, is everything okay? Um, it gets back to that care, the C, care C of, uh, of, of building trust. Uh, so it's a great way to start to develop trust if you sense some sort of confrontation or conflict or or hurt feelings in a meeting. Yep. The other point is there um, saying sorry is uh, is really important if you communicated some things that didn't come across very well and um, that saying sorry for how you communicated is, is important, not for the content part. So um, because you can be there can be lots of different problems um, that you just didn't know, or maybe just because you're not a native speaker or whatever, um, that you uh, made, but, but say sorry for the communication, but not for the content. So you have another uh, question, yeah. Another question uh, from Dan. Any suggestions for addressing long-standing conflicts between senior people? So I, I had this, uh, this situation once um, uh, with the two people that had probably, gosh, maybe 30 years experience between them, um, both at least 10 or 12 years experience. And again, it, it was, we got it resolved. It was never a situation where they were going to be friends, but um, it did air. What we got to was sort of the root cause of some of the issues um, in terms of where it started and helping them understand Okay, th this really didn't need to be as contentious as it has become. Um, so it can be done. I think some of the same techniques in terms of the the curiosity, the the detective work in terms of getting them to understand and trust and and convey information about when they feel like some of the problems started. And this was a situation where the 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 other supervisor and I, in a sense, mediated. The meeting between the two employees and we set it up. I mean, we didn't, we didn't surprise them. We said, we're going to have this meeting. Here's what we're going to do. I actually gave one of the books that I talked about the solar communication to the individual and asked them to, um, to read a section of the book in preparation for the meeting. And I would say it went as, as well as we had expected. Um, but again, it really did unearth some, some, uh, some some issues that had arisen that sort of caused some of the problems that really were, you know, kind of senseless. So it, it can be done. Maybe we can go to 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 the last slide um, where it's about the some of the the upcoming uh, events. Yeah, there's there were two things in the Q and A. I don't know if we have time to address them. Maybe we can address them afterwards. Yeah, maybe we can just address them while, while showing the slide. I think one of the things is about the expectations is making sure that 
you set your expectation right. So especially in this uh, problem with senior people that maybe have a very, very long history of, of a conflict, um, you can't expect them to get that resolved within a day and, uh, you know, become best friends and, yeah, have a nice dinner together. That's, that's shouldn't be the expectations. Should, yeah. Set your expectation more, more realistic. That's one of the things. Um, yeah, the, the question about taking sides, um, yeah, it's, uh, you, you, I would say, um, you may have taken a side, but you can't tip your hat in that. In the situation that I talked about where it was another supervisor and I that got involved, we, in a sense, had some discussion around maybe who was right or wrong. Uh, but in the meeting, we, we were objective mediators. Uh, we weren't going to take sides. Uh, because I think as, as soon as you do that, the other person will sense it and they'll become very defensive and they're going to stop opening up. I mean, if, if they feel like this is, this has been decided, um, you're not going to get them to open up. Now, eventually, again, every, every situation is different. If you're a supervisor of two people and you have to resolve it, you have to, maybe ultimately you do have to take a side. Uh, but going in, I would try to let the information get out on the table. Let let each of them speak. Practice the creative listening uh, before you have to make make any decision. Yeah. In terms of the question about, um, do you advise someone about the data collection procedures uh, right away when someone has already collected data inappropriately and asked to analyze it? Well, I think I would first kind of understand where the person is coming from and really apply this technique of creative listening that's, that we um, uh, alluded to earlier to understand all different um, uh, viewpoints, different perspectives um, before, you know, making making any recommendations because maybe there were some kind of logistical things. Maybe there were some, you know, uh, he didn't knew better. Uh, maybe, you know, that was, has always been done in, in his previous companies that way. So I think it's, it's really important, uh, first to understand where the other person is coming from, uh, before, uh, going, going in, in there. And then, you know, going in there with, with some questions first is, is better than to kind of directly go in w w with the position. I think one one final comment, maybe not final, but uh, the one thing we haven't talked about is the time element in a lot of these things. So in a situation where the, there is a conflict, but if you're in a position of having to make a decision and time is of the essence, um, sometimes you can't wait for all the information to come out and you may have to make a decision and then address the resolve the conflict later. Um, so you, you, certainly time is a factor in some of these things that if there's something that needs to be done and there's disagreement as to how to do it and you're the one that has to decide it, you, you have to make the decision and you might have to side with someone just to get the work done and then worry about resolving the conflict later. Again, that's going to be very situation dependent. you got a lot out of this recording of the webinar today. Um, for me, it was a lot of learnings about conflict over the years. And here you see how to react to this, how to prepare for 
potential situations um, with respect to conflict and how to manage it well. The show was created in association PSI and thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background. Thank you for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. And finally, we also have a LinkedIn group where you can join and share your experience. So, reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.